Good morning, good afternoon, and good, good evening, everyone. Welcome to the ABEX Q4 2023 review and Q1 2024 roadmap update call. For those of you who are new to the call format, we host these calls semi-regularly around key my project milestone period ends, and we will not be directly referencing financial statements, and this is specifically not a Q4 2023 year-end financial reporting conference call, uh, nor a call for financial guidance. Instead, the call is intended to serve as a presentation and review of recent disclosures and a forum for investor Q&A ahead of the pending launch of the ABEX Commodity Exchange and Clearinghouse in Singapore here in early 2024, which is on track to take place before our audited year-end financial statements are formally published. Going forward, after the launch of the exchange, we will review our ongoing investor call cadence and likely move to a more standard financial reporting call, call calendar. With that said, uh, we have not held a formal investor and analyst Q&A since just after our Q2 MDA was published in August last year, and there have been a number of key milestones achieved and announcements since that time, including uh, a number of key financing closings, and of course, ABEX Singapore receiving its three key regulatory licenses in December. So during today's call, I will be referencing disclosures from last week's corporate update and project development activities press release dated February 1st, and perhaps a number of the corporate finance-related press releases over the last quarter. By reference to these press releases and disclosures, I also wanted to draw your attention to some of the specific cautionary statements and notices that accompany each of those uh, releases respectively, and to start this call today by also referencing uh, our caution on forward-looking statements. Uh, please see our dis disclaimer in the slides attached. I'm sure that the Q&A portion of the call today will be heavily focused on the upcoming launch of the ABEX exchange. Uh, but as we start this very important year ahead of ABEX, with my prepared statements, I also want to spend some time reviewing the broader development milestones for 2024 and beyond related to the Smarter Markets Technology Vision as we progress the development of our ABEX Technology Console Suite software applications, the ID++ v2 protocols towards commercial readiness, in today's, uh, metals in today's metals markets in particular, we appear to be entering an important crossroads where some of the global battery metal prices seem increasingly disconnected from the price required to deliver clean, low emission supply growth needed to facilitate the mass ele electrification goals being set out by governments globally. So now more than ever, we need new market infrastructure and new market innovations and smarter markets, which I'll talk about on this call. We appreciate and are very fortunate to have a very active shareholder base that follows a lot of the real-time updates surrounding the company. And so I should remind our active investors that these calls are not a forum for releasing new information, material information, but to simply summarize and report on the many ongoing activities in a plain language format and Q&A. So joining on me, me on the call today are CFO Steve Frey, Chief Economist David Greeley, uh, Chief Commercial Officer Joe Rea, and head of product, Ian Forrester. Today's call will be broken down into four sections. I'll lead the first two sections on our, pro on our project and corporate updates, including the, the final remaining path to our exchange launch and our technology roadmap ahead. I'll then hand over the call to David Greeley for a short discussion on the state of, com of the commodity markets we're looking to launch. And finally, we'll answer some investor questions in an open Q&A section. 
for institution analysts, uh, institutions and, and analysts who are new to the ABEX uh, uh, on the call with us today, I would also encourage you to listen to our previous project update calls, which are on the ABEX website and our ABEX YouTube channel, drawing specific reference to the previous commercial product presentations from David Greeley on, uh, on our LNG and voluntary carbon futures addressable markets. And uh, our last call where David laid out the background and outlook for our nickel sulfate product uh, and ID++ uh, ABEX console suite technology demonstration from Ian Forrester and my discussion in mid-2022 of our strategic approach uh, to, to operating off of two balance sheets uh, and two distinct but complementary business units, ABEX Exchange and Clearing and ABEX Technologies, so that the, the, through the sum of the parts, uh, we can realize our long-term smarter markets vision and strategy for changing the way the commodities are priced and traded to also uh, allow the invisible hand of the free market to better discover and price and distribute the positive and negative externalities of the natural resource sector. Our path to achieving that underlying smarter markets mission is first to launch uh, our next generation of commodity benchmarks and market infrastructure in ABEX Singapore, uh, the primary focus uh, of the company in our initial growth stage. But in parallel, we are also developing next generation software and data infrastructure required to increase the trust and transparency in financial markets to achieve the bigger vision. I know that it may appear at first glance that ABEX has a unique business and capital strategy for this stage of development, essentially developing two direct distinct operating businesses at once, but all of our combined teams are focused on the singular long-term vision, and of course the long-term value that can be created for shareholders in achieving this mission, executing this two-part strategy while we tightly manage our cost of capital across both businesses and minimize possible dilution to long-term shareholders focused on this prize. So first up, I'd like to provide additional context to our recent, uh, recent press project and commercial updates. Uh, so I'll quickly run through some of the key highlights since our last call. Since our last uh, update, the company received three important licenses from the Monetary Authority of Singapore. An approved clearinghouse, ACH, approved holding company, and recognized market operator RMO licenses. From our conversations with the FIA, uh, the Futures Industry Association, which we recently joined as a full member, we understand that we will be launching the first new commodity clearinghouse to be licensed in a major financial center in over a decade. In a few weeks, we'll be holding numerous meetings at the annual global FIA event in Boca, where we where the launch plans for our new market are expected to be an important discussion topic among the global market infrastructure and FCM communities. Operationally, the company completed integration, training, and onboarding of all user classes, which includes trading firms, broker firms, and clearing firms, into ABEX production systems, and our payment network infrastructure is well in, underway and on time for targeted launch here in Q1 of 2024. During the past quarter, we also onboarded a second settlement bank, another important global bank operating prominently in global supply chains. So we have a robust set of financial infrastructure partners underlying our markets and clearinghouse. ABEX staff is heavily engaged with our, our launch partners with a focus on training, clearing, and broker firms in administration and use of the systems that support order routing, trade entry, and post-trade activities. 
Industry-leading exchange and clearing ISVs have deployed their software packages for authorized use by the ABEX community. ABEX Clearing is now active on the SWIFT network and is in process of activating accounts for its clearing members at settlement banks through which margin deposits and payments will be managed. Final live production system end-to-end -end checks are ongoing to accommodate this Q1 launch. In summary, while there is always more work to be done to continuously develop the most robust market ecosystem, streamlining operating tools and procedures with additional software development, we've reached a good critical state at the operating level for launching an exchange with very robust leading edge infrastructure and software technology and broad global market connectivity. Turning to the commercial update, Commercial activities remain active across clearing members, trading firms, and brokers for all three product asset classes. Clearing firms are now in user testing across ABEX exchange systems and have completed ABEX-provided uh, product knowledge workshops with special attention paid to the physical settlement attribute of our uh, futures products. Trading firms are working with their clearing firms to, to ensure connectivity for day one trading, whether it's through direct connectivity as clearing members or through carry broker relationships. ABEX has currently approved applications for two full clearing members with a number of additional FCMs in commercial discussion and working on a path to membership and or connectivity for launch. I should note the profile that the profile of our initial clearing group is very strong for a stage of uh, a new market such as ours, including of uh, a number of the most important commodity futures specialists uh, firms like Stonex, Stonex, which we announced last week. And additionally, our first global bank FCM, uh, one of the leading FCMs in Asia, and an important Singapore-based clearing business. Commercial teams are also working to onboard global inter-dealer inter brokers and, and, and have conducted numerous demo sessions of the ABEX block trade registration platform for brokers in Houston, London, New York, and Singapore. The ABEX commercial team has also increased the frequency of market workshops leading up to launch uh, with the intent of grow, growing, growing the understanding of our innovative markets. An upcoming roadshow will include co-sponsored events with leading clearing firms, brokers, and price reporting agencies. It will, it will include a mix of in-person and online sessions over the coming weeks. On the product side, our LNG VCM carbon and nickel sulfate futures contracts are prepared for launch. Further development work continues on a number of fronts as momentum grows and we transition to production and scaling our enterprise. Development work on additional battery and, and initial precious metal products is a priority. We are encouraged by the enthusiasm and demand for these product futures to, ex to extend the battery metals category, uh, likely into lithium, and we have progressed uh, to stage two, uh, which we define as scoping with industry design and drafting. Uh, precious metals are currently in uh, stage three, uh, our industry review, risk, and regulatory work. As we discussed on our last call, last year we published a few commercial KPIs. At that time, we tallied up just the number of commercial participants who have actively reached out to their respective clearing members signaling their intention to trade, ABEX commodity future products when available. Seven global energy companies, 14 global merchant commodity trading houses, seven financial institutions commodity trading groups, three global mining companies, 
two OEMs and battery manufacturing companies, six energy utilities, and four banks have reached out to third-party FCMs to trade ABEX products. Of course, we've also engaged uh, probably at least 100 additional corporations beyond this number, but I think those narrowed KPIs are important for signaling the potential early adoption of our markets. And on nickel specifically, 11 metals merchant trading companies, two global mining companies, four global auto and battery manufacturers, and four market makers and financial participants have engaged our nickel sulfate working group and proposed product specifications uh, in review. And given the smaller and tighter community of global metals traders, we have the opportunity with this product to essentially onboard a critical mass of the entire critical minerals trading segment right away, providing immeasurable operating leverage to our infrastructure for launching additional metal products, particularly as the sector is looking for new exchange alternatives, even in the core base and precious metals. So in summary, we are in a great commercial and operational position for launch. And perhaps I'll let Joe Rea discuss more of our, our, about our commercial launch preparations in the Q&A section of the call. But before I turn the call over to David and then the Q&A that I'm sure you're all looking forward to, I want to spend a little bit of time touching on the state of our technology development and the Smarter Markets vision uh, and our related 2024 goals as a whole. As investors know, we have always been, uh, there's always been two key pillars underlying the ABEX vision and strategy. First, launch a new full stack exchange and clearinghouse where we have control of our own exchange and integrated clearinghouse running primarily on our own proprietary software infrastructure stack and where we develop new innovative physical delivery commodity future products directly with commercial part participants. And second, in the medium term, to essentially disrupt our own market from within by pushing new cutting edge software technologies out into the market by leveraging the distribution and client relationships of our own business network post-launch. Now, for the first pillar, there are a number of paths that our experienced commodity market executives could have taken to develop new LNG, environmental, and battery metal markets. And we certainly chose the hardest path by developing the full stack ourselves with a number of unexpected bumps along the way. But as we launched these initial markets, after choosing the road less travel to build and launch the first new commodity clearinghouse in over a decade from scratch, a highly risky but now successful development endeavor, it is important to note that we will not stop innovating and taking new risks and pursuing new rewards in the second pillar of our vision. So as I was preparing for this call, and as we kick off this highly transformational year for ABEX and transition to a revenue-generating company across our business units, I thought I'd briefly present an additional framework for thinking about the technology side of ABEX technologies. From a commercial perspective, I would say there are three potential strategic benefits to what has essentially been a leading-edge software technology R&D business up until this stage. First, as an indirect strategic benefit of this business unit configuration, by having our own in-house software product development team and full-stack engineers working on a new and innovative ways to build market software and always keeping our tech team in the so-called front office of our business, we believe that we are able to stay ahead of market innovations by not always falling back on the default third-party products and norms that underlying our, our competitors. For example, as you may recall, we made a very hard decision in 2022 to essentially rip out our initial exchange technology stack centered around NASDAQ systems, uh, software designed to run on legacy infrastructure configurations, 
and we built a more advanced cloud-based infrastructure, replacing NASDAQ with vendors Bay Markets and XBerry. This decision introduced new risks and a painful delay in the short term, but we, but we believe that this decision now sets us up much better for the long term by accelerating the second phase or second pillar of our business that I'll talk about in a minute. And an added benefit, we also believe that this new infrastructure and software deployed can reduce our costs significantly versus legacy systems of our exchange and clearinghouse competitors, and, th and therefore a direct margin expansion opportunity and perhaps even setting us up for new business strategies that com can compete on price and volume in existing derivative markets. By turning back to the overall, but turning back to the overall tech strategy, the second st strategic benefit is that we can potentially introduce new, innovative commodity future products that none of our competitors can introduce without similar software-enabled components that our tech business is developing. While we are not ready to get into the full details at this stage, full digital title of global commodity collateral could be one of those newly enabled products, something that will be a total game changer for the capital efficiency and risk management practices in global supply chains, and moving the exchange world closer to the vision of decentralized finance or DeFi uh, from the center of the clearing system outward. We will talk about this strategy more as the year progresses, but ID but ID++ and our, and our new exchange software infrastructure, as well as a number of, of new market infrastructure regulatory licenses that we've started working on from ABEX tech side of our business, could place this future right on our doorstep. This fully digitally, digital commodity collateral product is not part of our current launch or regulatory approvals, but the advanced status of our software development and some key decisions to change, change out our exchange software stack to embed ID++ natively in our market infrastructure will enable this major opportunity uh, to be a market innovation leader. And the other product innovation enabled by our tech strategy is the smart commodity framework, full digital title that includes rich data on the origin and footprint of, commodity, uh, of a commodity through a supply chain. Again, this is a strategy that we will talk more about as the year unfolds, and only enabled by ID++ and our software innovations. And finally, the third potential advantage of our corporate structure and software innovation strategy outside of our core commodity markets, or perhaps even outside financial markets as a whole, we have been busy working uh, through additional go-to-market strategies for our tech, including some ID++ enabled innovations in the field of generative AI. Again, we will present more of these strategies after the launch of the exchange, but thought, I thought it was important to revisit why we've developed the structure of ABEX technologies as, set, as a separate operating entity, yet still highly complementary to our first and primary business at ABEX Exchange, and our ability to generate new innovations in the exchange, as well as pursuing other innovation strategies, like how we created the equity value, royalty income, and corporate operating synergies with base carbon in 2022. Going forward, Depending on the capacity of our balance sheets and the corporate finance decisions we make at the parent company level, investors could expect to see new spinouts or even developing new business lines organically or via partnership or acquisition on the ABEX tech level balance sheet. So with that commercial framework as a foundation, before turning the call over, I want to run through a few highlights specifically on our ABEX tech 2023 year in review. Uh, and I'd be happy to have Ian answer any of these uh, questions in more details uh, later on in the call. 
Looking back on 2023, probably the key software milestone achieved was, was the development and deployment of ID++ v2 and its integration into the ABEX exchange via author, authentication and authorization applications. We also advanced our ABEX network scaling infrastructure and developed a, ro a robust uh, SDK or a software developer kit. V2 is significant because we were able to get rid of the burden of running a permissioned blockchain while keeping strong E2E encryption, data self-custody, and peer-to-peer -peer network architecture. This sets ID++ up to be an interoperable government's la governance layer in the formal financial system for a growing number of cloistered layer one blockchains that custody assets. On the application side, we completed advanced prototypes in the bulk of our enterprise-grade designs uh, for our exchange-focused console app suite, namely ABEX Drive, ABEX Messenger, and our digital document signing apps, all integrated with our new ID++ v2 and SDK. We also began using ABEX Messenger internally within our organization, including its highly private, highly secure voice and video functionality running inside the ABEX network. Under what we were calling Project Venice, we developed functional prototypes for a new tier of console apps aimed at our first potential client use cases outside of ABEX Exchange, initially looking at users' uses in the broader carbon market ecosystem upstream of exchange derivative markets. And we also held our first private invite demo day to mem memorialize completion of these apps. And finally, uh, like most companies developing new software, We've been impressed with the level of output from large language models and are optimistic about their use to improve productivity across a range of sectors, uh, in, including commodity markets. However, we're extremely conscious of the risks involved in managing data flowing into the LLMs and are developing capabilities with ID, within the ID++ protocol to better manage this LLM data risk. We have developed a private LLM prototype application and are currently advancing integration of LLM, LLM uh, capabilities into ABEX Messenger. So wrapping up this section of the presentation, in summary, the ABEX Exchange launch will continue to be the core of our business and focus, but as the year unfolds, we look forward to sharing more of our software developments for use in the, in the exchange product innovations uh, related to the ABEX group businesses and beyond. And with that, I'd like to turn the call over to David Greeley. Thanks, Josh. As Josh has been dis discussing, <clears throat> pardon me, what's happening at ABEX as we progress on our timelines to launch of the exchange into introducing new commodity futures in LNG, nickel sulfate, and carbon, I'll take a few minutes now before we head into the Q&A to discuss what's happening in these markets that we're preparing to launch into. As you know, we're building smarter markets for energy transition commodities because we know that the energy transition requires massive investment in the physical infrastructure needed to supply these commodities, and that this investment must be done in the face of great uncertainty and risk, uncertainty and risks that require more reliable price signals to navigate and better hedging instruments to manage. Despite the massive new supply needed for the energy transition over time, however, most commodity prices, even those for commodities critical to the energy transition, are down over the past year, and many producers are now curtailing, not expanding production. 
Of course, markets never move in a straight line. And as our friend Arjun Murdy emphasizes, this is not a super cycle, it's a super vol or volatility cycle. So let's talk about some of the sources of this price volatility and price risk. In particular, let's talk about what we're learning about the dynamics of the energy transition and the increasing role of policy and politics in these markets, and some of the specific ways that they are influencing the LNG, nickel sulfate, and carbon markets. We continue to expect that the needs of the energy transition will support strong trend demand growth for many critical commodities. However, there are cycles as well as trends, and usual commodity market cycles and economic cycles still matter. In terms of economic cycles, the slowdown in the Chinese real estate market and weaker than expected recovery from COVID, along with fears of economic recession in the US and Europe, have undercut demand and prices in many of the industrial metals markets. Importantly, against the backdrop of weaker demand from a weaker economy in China, energy transition demand from wind and solar power generation and electric vehicles have continued to outperform, supporting demand and prices. In terms of commodity market cycles, strong production growth in both oil and nickel has also undercut prices in these markets. Nickel illustrates this dynamic quite well. It's received strong support from its use in the electric vehicle batteries, but is being overwhelmed by a new wave of production in Indonesia and others forcing producers to curtail production. Meanwhile, strong US and non-OPEC oil production has kept OPEC supply off the market, creating ample spare capacity in Saudi Arabia, which has now announced a pause in its own oil production capacity expansion plans. So I think what we're seeing is that synchronizing the timing of new demand from the energy transition with new supply is a large source of risk in these markets, with prices and production running ahead in some markets, leading to strong price declines, like nickel prices falling over 40% over the past year and lithium falling 80%. And while the energy transition adds a new source of trend demand growth, the economic cycle still matters. In addition to the risks arising from these market dynamics, we also have the uncertainty and risks created by the strong role of government, policy, politics, and geopolitics in these markets. In addition to the uncertainty and risks in monetary policy, fiscal, and even regulatory policy are becoming more and more important. When Russia invaded Ukraine, we saw governments ease environmental regulations in favor of near-term energy security and affordability. Now we are seeing governments sacrifice long-term energy security and affordability in the name of the environment. In the US, which is now the leading global exporter of LNG, the Biden administration has imposed a temporary pause on pending decisions on exports of LNG to non-free trade agreement countries until the Department of Energy can update its underlying economic and environmental analyses. In Panama, the closure of First Quantum's Cobre Panama copper mine, which produced 350,000 tons in 2022, or 1.5% of global production, was the culmination of environmental protests. Meanwhile, geopolitics and national industrial policies continue to shape and reshape global trade. Indonesia, which produces 60% and will likely produce 75%, of global nickel supply in coming years will likely not be considered IRA compliant for US Inflation Reduction Act subsidies due to foreign entity of concern considerations and its uh, lack of free trade agreement status. And sanctions on Russia continue 
with now reportedly 90% of the aluminum and LME warehouses being Russian. And meanwhile, in the carbon markets, COP28 negotiations on Paris Agreement Article 6 markets made little progress. And despite continued attacks on the effectiveness of various methodologies, the voluntary carbon markets continue to push forward with 2023 setting a new record for retirements of carbon offsets. I think this illustrates that across more and more markets, a ton of metal or carbon is no longer a ton of metal or carbon. Sources matter, quality matters, and we increasingly need smarter markets that will allow commodities to be traded and priced uh, and diffs established based on quality and sourcing considerations. In the meantime, as the degree of uncertainty and risk rises, so does the use of futures and options markets to manage that risk. Uh, when you look across existing commodity exchanges, commodity trading volumes have been at record highs across many of the legacy exchanges, including ICE, SGX, and in the CME lithium and cobalt markets. Now, many of these are still very small, but I think it's important to note that the markets continue to turn towards futures and options to help hedge the risk and unlock the investment capital that's required for the energy transition. Net, the size and scope of risks to be managed is only increasing, and record trading volumes on existing exchanges speaks to an environment that is ready for new benchmark contracts in the energy transition commodities and better tools for risk management. And ultimately for the new technologies that will allow commodities to be traded and priced with premiums and discounts reflecting their perceived quality by producers and consumers. So as we prepare to launch these new markets for the energy transition, I think what we're seeing is that the markets are ready and the markets are ready for smarter markets. So with that, I'm gonna pause and I'll turn it over uh, to Josh to direct the Q&A. Josh, I'm not sure if you're still on mute. <laughs> there we go. My my first time operating Zoom in the last three years, clearly. <laughs> um, so uh, my apologies. Uh, so so jumping right into the the questions, um, I, will a will an actual launch date be announced? Uh, is probably the the most requested question uh, thus far. So, you know, of course, uh, we uh, cannot uh, forecast uh, press releases and announcements. Um, but, I, but again, I've, I've touched, as I touched on before, you know, we do have a number of key industry events that we'll be attending over coming weeks. Um, and uh, below, Joe uh, will, uh, you know, I'll, I'll have Joe answer some of the questions below. Uh, look, kind of describing what, what an actual launch looks like um, in these, what, what's an, what's likely to be initially a uh, block trade markets. Uh, can we expect any additional partnership announcements leading up to the launch? Um, yeah, so again, referencing uh, how we announced, uh, put out the joint announcement with Stonex uh, last week, uh, 
I think different partners within our ecosystem um, are going to go about uh, disclosing names and announcing their their involvement in in different ways. Um, you know, again, taking uh, some some uh, historical examples, uh, DBS Bank, you know, our first settlement bank, um, you know, uh, you know, joint joint disclosed uh, their involvement, uh, while another global bank uh, has not released the name. Um, so I think different institutions uh, are going to probably go about it different ways, um, but you're starting to see some of uh, some of our ISV partners uh, and some of the platforms publishing uh, publishing our our products and and marketing our products, and uh, you know so we're going to continue to to jointly do that, uh, and and some will be uh, marketing the products uh, on their own. Um, so yeah, so there's there's going to be a lot more of this activity over over, over the coming weeks. Um, what is the expected ramp ramp time of actual trading on Sing Singapore Exchange? I know that you just uh, got approval, but do you need more than just StoneX as clearing members to start trading, or is there a specific launch date? Um, any targets on initial volumes? Um, yeah, I guess a number of questions on uh, in one there. Uh, Joe, do you want to maybe uh, take this uh, take this question? Uh, to explain kind of what the what the, what the start of a commercial uh, product launch like ours uh, means. Sure, Josh. Thanks. And it's it's uh, it's it's really unique, and it um, it's not like uh, like basically opening the doors on Black Friday when the when the crowds rush in. Uh, there's so many interdependencies of risk management that go along with launching a new exchange, uh, let alone a new clearinghouse with very innovative products. And I think uh, for, we're fortunate that we have great partners and our clearing members and our technology and our brokers uh, to already have uh, expressed interest to uh, to participate in, in the first trades. Um, and we're making sure that those trades happen in a way that um, basically has been done for years where when new exchanges have, new products have been launched, where uh, the, the trades are inputted uh, they wait a day to make sure all the settlement happens, the flow of margin happens, uh, and then the positions obviously show up in the customer's accounts. Uh, and so that's generally the way it happens, you know, through all the years that Dan and myself have been involved in, you know, o almost 2,000 product launches on the NYMEX. Um, you know, we, we see that happening uh, in the same way here, where we'll, we'll just, uh, and the current members will want to make sure that everything flows properly. The customers will want to make sure that everything flows properly. And, and most importantly, we will, as the exchange, to make sure all the data flows in uh, in the right way and into the right um, into the right silo, so to speak. You know, all, fortunately, all the testing that we've been doing over the, the, the prior months uh, will lead us up to to that, and we feel that everything will work properly. But uh, we, you know, there is kind of abundance of caution um, that generally the, the, that is the way that it's happened, and the FCMs that we have as partners are very well experienced in um, in uh, global futures markets, and they will want to make sure also that that all the systems work properly for them too. Great, thanks, Joe. Um, another FCM question: uh, Can you confirm how many how many FCMs uh, or, or clearing members uh, you are seeking to have approved in advance uh, of the launch date? Uh, again, I don't want to get into to um, all the regulatory related specifics here, um, but you know, I think in previous uh, you know previous updates we had mentioned that uh, we you know really we've worked with dozens over the years um, and five core you know kind of slated for launch launch partners. 
Um, but but again, uh, it's important to note that uh, they don't all have to be full members, um, but but also could could work with one of the core members in a in a carry broker, uh, you know, at launch and still be able to offer their products uh, to clients. So again, uh, the the core ones that we've been speaking to over over the years um, are kind of well well on their way uh, to integration, either you know being directly approved as a clearing member. Uh, or, or through one of the approved clearing members, uh, they'll be be ready for launch with with their clients. Uh, can you expand or get more details on how the products will be physically settled? Does Abex have the infrastructure or access to infrastructure to hold products? Uh, Joe, do you want to maybe uh, grab this one again? Yeah, sure. The you know, the delivery of futures contracts is is not not new. Um, you know, we've done uh, during our time at the NYMEX and uh, and also other futures exchanges have delivered futures contracts for literally for since going back to the 1800s. Certainly, the technology is different now, and the risks are different now, and the products are different. But um, when you look at the the delivery of physical futures contracts. Um, the experience that uh, our team has, not only just myself, but Dan, our, our compliance uh, uh, folks, our risk folks, understand how that's done. Uh, and generally, it's it's following the, the procedures that have been done for a long time, where the exchange um, matches up the buyer and the seller. Uh, the clearing members stay in the process right through to delivery. And then they, once the delivery is made, the... Um, the margins released and, uh, and, and, and that that's pretty much it. It's not really, I mean, it's certainly there's a lot more nuances to it than that, but it's not something that we haven't done in the past and we feel very comfortable with that process. And there isn't any additional, um, systems or, or processes in, that we need to put in place to get that done. Great. Thanks, Joe. Mm -hmm. Um, this question or comment, uh, the groundwork to build liquidity has been amazing as shown in conceptual product demand, as well as the roster of interested partners. Uh, can you uh, can you provide insights on, on minimum viable liquidity goals for 2024? Not just in volume terms, but also insights such as the conversion of interest into trading activity. Yeah, so I think one thing that, that I will note is, you know, we, we do believe that it's gonna take a number of quarters really to even get uh, a number of the interested parties and their back offices, uh, you know, fully connected to our market. Um, so again, as 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 Joe just touched on before, you know, we we are lining up first trades and 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 the institutions that are really, you know, ready from both their trade uh, trade to back office to you know clearing members. Um, you know, there'll there'll be a number that will be ready for first trade. Um, but it really is going to likely take a couple quarters to move, you know, particularly some of the uh, slowing, uh, you know, larger slowing move, moving institutions uh, to connect the exchange. So, you know, for that reason, I think it's important to not, uh, you know, try to forecast any near-term revenue or liquidity. But really, you know, the importance is is just, you know, building, um, you know, building this this new infrastructure and 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 having it broadly connected to global markets, not not just local markets. Um, and that's really what provides us the long term operating leverage uh, for both these products and, and additional products. So, again, there's going to be a period of onboarding uh, and building our markets uh, over over the coming uh, quarters and years. Um, consistent with others in the industry, would ABEX consider providing a listing of their trading clearing members on their website? Uh, Joe, do you do you know the status of, uh, yeah, of, of we the will. member? Uh, 
Yep, exactly. We will. Um, there will be a list as we get very close to launch, you know, obviously for competitive reasons, um, and we're not required to put that out yet, but we will have listed the inter-dealer brokers and the clearing members that are that are our partners with us um, uh, on the website very soon. Great. Um, now a series of questions on the exchange product development. Uh, can you please uh, provide an update relating to the status and maturity of the gold and lithium contracts? Um, again, these are things that we've touched on uh, in being, you know, what we've uh, what we've deemed stage two and stage three, respectively. Uh, Joe, do, Joe or Dave, do you want to handle kind of the the status of uh, of our uh, lithium uh, development and gold for that matter? Yeah, the, the, as, as you mentioned, they're they're certainly past the point of uh, of initial discovery. I would say, if to use that word, um, we have working group structures and outreach to the marketplace, like we did with the other products, to determine exactly what the product should look like. Just like in nickel sulfate, we didn't go into that development think coming coming in going into it with a predetermined um, uh, end end result as nickel sulfate. And the marketplace dictated to us or to or helped us develop those products and we're doing the same in gold we're doing the same in lithium i would say they're both in, in uh, decently advanced uh structure as you mentioned earlier josh and uh you know i think we given again the control of the clearinghouse we have that ability to roll these products out uh post um post regulatory approval to the marketplace when we're ready so um we think that that's that's going to follow suit similar to the product development that we've had in all our other product vert verticals Great. Uh, can you talk about potential revenue streams you expect uh, the exchange and clearinghouse to generate beyond trading fees? Uh, yeah. So, so again, in in a in a, in a business like ours, there's there's really I'd call it three or four core uh, revenue streams. Um, you know, first is the is the trading uh, the trading revenues. And again, we're not in the business of matching trades or or taking risk. You know, we get a fee for you know operating. You know, every time someone trades on on the exchange, uh, so we've got trading fees and similarly uh, clearing fees, and then the two other sort of uh, you know revenue revenue lines out of the exchange are um, you know various aspects of of market data um, and the connectivity uh, the, the data connectivity to the exchange, uh, as well as you know potentially you know ancillary applications uh, like you know, like Abex Messenger, uh, to the extent that you know brokers or or trading firms, you know, want to use some of our ancillary, uh, you know, console suite tools. Um, so I would say that's the, um, you know, that's the core of the of the of the business model directly related to Abex Exchange. Uh, now, you know, we'll reveal our data strategy more as we as we go. Um, we are not focused in the early days uh, for for charging for data. Um, we and I think we made some comments, you know, publicly that we think actually the, you know, the the, the data and access fees, um, you know, have probably gone a little bit too far in various exchange markets. Um, so we are working with uh, some of our partners on some new approaches um, uh, to to data revenue. And I, and I would not, you know, I would not forecast uh, data revenue as being, you know, the core part of our market in the early, you know, early quarters of of trading. Um, uh, can you discuss how ABEX can leverage their clearinghouse and a technology platform to expand into new revenue streams, such as third-party uh, clearing? 
Um, again, this is not something that's part of our initial phase or, or anything that we've worked with regulators on. But Joe, in general, do you want to kind of discuss how, you know, the importance of having our own clearinghouse uh, and, and what, what that can do for markets beyond ours? It's it it is big, Josh, and that's really is the key and the and the reason why we spend so much extra time and, and capital to develop our own clearinghouse because we can uh, now be uh, you know be be responsive to the marketplace to launch products uh, to launch even third party clearing potentially for firms that come in. I mean, in fact, we had uh, early on in our in our development, we looked at going to another clearinghouse for third party clearing, but knew that the development of our own clearinghouse was worth the the time and the effort and the capital to know that we can control the launch of our own products. And, you know, we've had, just like with gold and lithium, you know, there will be, and there are um, new, new ideas rolling into us, um, not only for products, but for clearing. And, um, and, you know, I think that that's really where the, where the benefit is, not only uh, for being a global clearinghouse, but also being situated in Asia where we have access to, to uh, you know, really arguably the, lar the largest commodity markets in the world. So we're very uh, excited about that. And again, very similar to what we did at the NYMEX where, we were able to roll out products as the marketplace came to us. And so that's an important part of why we did what we did from building the clearinghouse and, uh, and the time that it took to get there. Can more detail be given around ABEX potentially serving as a clearing venue for commodity exchanges in the Middle East? Um, yeah, so look, you know, clearly our markets uh, involve uh, some some key, um, you know, key state and, and state-owned uh, energy companies in in the Middle East and we've had uh, a lot of trips there and a lot of a lot of conversations there you know now a number of of uh, you know these Middle Eastern countries have also discussed plans for you know for having their own commodity exchanges and I, and I would say there's nothing specifically uh, on our roadmap right now but but it is it is a, a point of discussion. Um, and, and again, back to Joey, Joe's previous point, uh, you know, the, the existing exchanges over there, uh, like, uh, you know, like the, the, the Dubai Mercantile Exchange uh, and ICE's new exchange in, in Abu Dhabi, um, uh, do clear uh, through, through uh, you know, through the U.S. and, and London and, and elsewhere. Um, so, so, you know, having your own clearinghouse, you know, we, we could potentially be in a position uh, to... Um, you know, to, to clear uh, new exchanges in, in that region or, or, or elsewhere. Um, yeah, I think that's the, oh, uh, uh, please provide detail around the ABEX precious metals line. Uh, again, until we get into the final stage or finish the final stage three, you know, including the regulatory work, um, you know, we're not really in a position to, to announce all of the details. Um, but I would I would uh, uh, encourage you to listen to the Smarter Markets episode uh, that 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 uh, David did, um, uh, I think, towards, you know, in the fall of last year around precious metals markets. Uh, and really, the need for for new markets in Asia, um, you know, there 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 are a number of of issues as as more of the uh, both spot and futures market moves east, um, and you know, we still believe there's a lot of opportunity in precious metals, despite the fact that you know we've got very you know very liquid precious metal markets in a number of places globally. Um, Turning to some questions on ABEX tech uh, tech level uh, revenue, um, there seems to be some confusion over the current revenue royalty rate in place with ABEX exchange. Uh, okay, yeah. So there's there's a number of uh, questions here. 
Uh, let me just see if there's anything different. Um, yeah, essentially there's three questions related to the ABEX uh, tech royalty over ABEX Singapore. So, you know, maybe stepping back a bit. Um, now, remember, uh, we, we really have, as, as again, I call it the two balance sheets, um, ABEX Technologies, you know, the parent, you know, publicly traded uh, holding company, um, uh, and then our subsidiary, which uh, which is again uh, majority owned by by Abex Tech, uh, which is which is Abex Singapore. Now we 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 not only own mo most of the the equity in Abex uh, Abex Singapore, uh, but we also structured at the outset of the companies um, a gross revenue royalty that sits over the exchange. Um, and, and the thinking there was that, you know, as we want to develop uh, liquidity and, and, and bring in more institutional uh, partners and, and owners uh, of the, at the exchange level, um, that we maintain a, a, a revenue royalty that always really al aligns the, the two companies, um, you know, for the ABEX technologies to always be developing uh, new technology and new innovations uh, you know, to feed into Abex, Abex Singapore. Um, so, so this was this was uh, an incentive structure that sort of you know keeps our culture as as being you know highly conservative and regulated at the Singapore level, uh, but also uh, very um, uh, you know very very innovative at the tech level, but but you know be aligned economically. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't want to get into details until we uh, until we really publish our our, our financial statements. Um, and, and it's also important to note that this revenue royalty does not kick in uh, until until we get um, you know to a certain level of of uh, exchange uh, revenue and EBITDA. Um, and so, so really, uh, you know, I, I would say it's immaterial right now the level of the exchange. But there are mechanisms uh, where where investing uh, the additional 10 million, and of course we've we've invested uh, much more than that to date. Uh, we are able to increase our revenue royalty uh, from from two percent to three percent. Um, Non-core assets. Uh, can you uh, uh, please confirm if the company has now sold uh, um, non-core assets? Uh, so, so actually, we have not. Uh, there's not been no material change uh, in some of our non-core asset holdings. Uh, we did. Uh, we did essentially. Um, I, I guess effectively create almost like a repo transaction where we sold, but then repurchased our our Tecora, uh, port royalty. Um, and, and, and really nothing, nothing has, uh, changed overall at this time. Uh, some questions on the strategic financing, uh, you know, now that you've recently complete, completed a financing, the ABEX tech level, um, you know, has the plan for strategic, uh, partner financing the ABEX Singapore changed, um, Yes, you know, without getting into all the detail. Uh, so yes, you know, last year we we were very focused on uh, on really a dual path of, of financing. Um, you know, one to include, you know, in, increase the the working capital and, and growth at the ABEX tech level, but of course the um, also bring in the strategic uh, financing partners um, at the you know directly at the ABEX, ABEX Singapore level. Um, so again, I I think now. You know, there's probably a few few of our. You know, we probably shifted from Plan A to Plan B. You know, uh, you know, late late in the year, 
but but overall i think the the institutions that came into both both sides of our financing uh were were you know very uh you know just just a very good outcome overall uh for our business so we were we were very you know happy with the overall outcome um now we had we had talked about potentially doing a two stage closing in abex singapore now that's not completely off the table um, you know, and and I would actually say probably some of the larger uh, institutions that we were talking to um, that really couldn't move into the into the sort of the crunch period uh, before the end of the year when, around the time of our licenses, um, you know, those kind of got put on hold. Um, and, you know, right now, I think if we if we wanted to accept uh, additional investors into ABEX Singapore, we may look at an overall you know, a new financing structure um, and, and just really be opportunistic, um, you know, with with additional financings going forward. Uh, we, you know, we do have, uh, you know, we do have a cash balance sheet for, you know, for the launch and, and initial quarters of the exchange. Um, and of course, we have other assets on our balance sheet, you know, including the position in, in base carbon. Um, you know, so, you know, we still do have a robust balance sheet and a number of options uh, to grow uh, to grow the business uh, post launch. Um, but again, we're going to continue to be opportunistic in, in looking at uh, bringing new new financial or, or strategic investors in into uh, either capital structure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think most of the, the the financing questions were related to to the comments I've I've, I've just said. You know, I don't want to really get into uh, you know specifics of of why we chose various paths because again, I think overall we we ended up with a very strong outcome. You know, particularly in a um, you know particularly in such a challenging financing market. Um, you know, there are a number of questions around the, the U.S. listing. Um, you know, this is this is something that you know. I, again, I don't want to really get into the details uh, of, of the listing process at this at, at this time. I think suffice to say, you know, our our focus for the last uh, the last couple months, you know, our, our priority uh, was was on you know was on completing the financings that we that we really had in hand. You know, kind of from October on. Uh, that really didn't involve the, the need for U.S. listing, uh, and of course, our current focus is on launching the exchange. Um, and, and I think if you go back to our original, uh, the original points we discussed, you know, really at, at the li initial listing of Abex Technologies in Canada, you know, we've always discussed having uh, other jurisdictional listings on our roadmap, um, and 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 really, you know, putting more focus and and investment into that. Um, you know, around the time of the the launch of the exchange, uh, or or thereafter. Let's see. On there's some other questions that have come in uh, during the call. Um, are you all going to continue with quarterly investor update meetings going forward? Uh, yeah, as, as I mentioned at the beginning of the call, I think we'll likely be moving uh, towards more a quarterly financial call cadence. Um, as to date, we've been really uh, focused on calls around uh, project milestones. Um, so that is something that will likely change. And of course, uh, you know, we'll be looking to involve Steve Frey and, and some more of the you know, specific financial metrics uh, going forward this year. 
Um, are there any plans for a smarter markets community chat, perhaps uh, uh, to be able to leverage the, the savvy investor and listener base? Um, yes, <laughs> this is actually uh, you know a very exciting part of our roadmap. Um, you know we ha we have been making investments in smarter markets. Um, really, the call it the third pillar of the the business that maybe we didn't talk about as much uh, during this call. Uh, we do think there's a number of innovations, you know, particularly uh, particularly once you start incorporating large language models, uh, given the you know given the the knowledge and industry experience uh, that that we have uh, within Abex. Uh, we think we you know we have the data and the insights um, that uh, that really can be scaled with technology. Um, so we are you know very excited to to be working on a number of uh, you know community and chat applications that that include smarter markets um, into it. Um, David, maybe I'll put you on the spot. Uh, anything else you want to maybe uh, talk about uh, with 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 the smarter markets community? Yeah, thanks, Josh. Absolutely. I think you know smarter markets has been a, a wonderful platform for us in order to connect with people. Um, who share a similar practical problem-solving approach to uh, many of the issues that we care about. And, you know, what we would like to do over the coming year is to widen that community, to bring more voices into it, more conversations. And the technology that's being created on the ABEX tech side is really ideal for making that type of communication more secure, more transparent, more efficient. And so, you know, as Robert Friedland would say, stay tuned. Uh, we hope to be rolling out over the course of the next six, 12 months, more ways for uh, voices that you've all become accustomed to hearing from on the podcast to make them accessible as contributors uh, in other venues on smarter markets to create more lively discussions uh, with smarter markets contributors and others in the community and just keep rolling it out. And uh, hopefully the network will continue to grow and we'll be able to bring so many of those great conversations that we've had with you know, market participants, market infrastructure providers, investors, uh, bring those in to a smarter markets platform more holistically. Great, Thank thanks, Dave. And it looks like we just have a couple minutes left and we're kind of getting to the, the end of the questions. Um, maybe just a couple more here. Uh, does management plan on doing a roadshow to increase the visibility of ABEX to institutional investors? Uh, yes, uh, we've had a number of uh, inbounds from you know, some of the uh, some of the institutional, um, you know, to, to the finance, the financial community. Um, you know, as as some have also been working on uh, potentially releasing research on ABEX. So, uh, so yeah, we likely will do uh, do more institutional roadshows uh, going forward. Um, uh, when will 2023 financials be released? Uh, so yeah, so we're we're still on the same uh, so, sort of tier one listing uh, disclosure schedule. Uh, so, so we're, uh, you know, we'll be publishing financials at the, at the regular time and in, in, in uh, at the end of March of 2024. Uh, are you still optimistic on, on, uh, carbon markets? Uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. I, I think, I think there's still a lot of opportunities um, and, and really the, the, you know, the commitments that have been made on, um, 
you know, on, on 2030, I, I, I believe we're, we're still going to see uh, more, more, more to come in carbon markets. And, and we still think this is a huge uh, growth, growth area. So I think with that, we're, we're I think a number of uh, uh, related questions coming in, but um, I think we've covered the, the core and, and uh, I, you know, I appreciate everybody, uh, you know, your, your support through, you know, a very transformational uh, end of the year in, in 2023 and in uh, a very, very exciting uh, year, you're going forward. Thanks, everybody.